You're listening to BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth from BetQL. Stafford from under center, steps back, throws the fade, back shoulder, Cooper Cup's got it! Cooper Cup brings it in! Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown LA! With 125 remaining, the Rams are back on the high side. BeckQL Daily right here on the BeckQL Network. Joe O, Joe G, Aaron Hawkster with you on a Monday, Super Bowl Monday, reacting to the Rams 23, Bengals 20 in Super Bowl 56. And joining us now to do just that, he joins us every Monday, our Odyssey NFL insider. He's in the Roman guest line, Michael Lombardi. You can also hear Michael on the GM Shuffles weekly podcast, available on the Odyssey app. Mike, the Cooper Cup touchdown puts the Rams ahead. Before that, though, there was a penalty, a couple penalties, actually, back-to-back-to-back penalties there, uh, one offset. But the, the the play on Logan Wilson, what did you make of that? That really changed the tenor of the game and, and gave the Rams new life. The uh, the penalty on Logan Wilson, uh, did you agree with the call there by the referees late in that game? You know, I, I think uh, that it was really a situation where they missed a call. On the same exact play, there's a complete false start. Uh, the four of the offensive linemen for the Rams are backing up. The center hadn't snapped the ball yet. It was a false start. It should have been offsetting penalties. The play should have been vilified. It should have never started. It should have been third and and 14 from the 14. So before we even get into the call, which was very ticky-tacky for a game that didn't feature very many calls, uh, they missed a false start. Go back and watch it. It was really a – it was so bad that you wonder how they could have missed this. And to me, that's the story. We're going to focus on Logan Wilson, and that's great. The play should have never gotten off. Hmm. How do you miss that face mask on the Higgins touchdown as well? I mean, I don't know how to explain it. You know, they, they try to, certainly. Uh, but I don't know how you miss a false start right in front of them in a most critical part of the game. That's third and 14. You know, I, I think all the calls in the game come back to that call, which nobody will talk about. And frankly, they didn't even talk about it on the broadcast. I, I, I mean, I'm watching the game. I'm screaming, there's a false start. And I thought the whistle was going to blow. And I thought maybe I couldn't hear it because of the crowd noise. When in reality, it, it, nobody even said it. Go back and watch the highlights of the game. Go watch the penalty. Put yourself in that position. Look at it. I mean, Whitworth is three yards back in the backfield before the ball even gets to, 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 to Stafford. It's a crime. It's a true crime. This has happened. Tolbert's same crew. Now, Tolbert was part of the officiating crew in Cincinnati that missed their false start against the Chiefs. Remember that play on fourth and goal from the one? They had a false start. The Chiefs players all got crazy. They pointed. They were kept pointing at it, and, and, and the play went on. That would have been fourth and goal at the sixth, and, and Taylor would have had to kick the ball right then. I can't wait to hear your assessment of both head coaches. Um, Sean McVay, the job he did, it seemed like he just kept trying to run the ball, um, especially on first down when there was nothing there. What were your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, I think the reason you want to hear my thoughts is because I, I, I actually are trying to be honest, unlike the broadcast. I mean, seriously, the whole narrative about o- o- Odell Beckham not being in the game was ridiculous. He wasn't on the team for most of the year. I thought Sean had a bad day. I really did. I think Sean called a bad game. I think Sean's mismanagement of the clock, particularly when we get down to the goal line. I mean, he's got first and goal at the eight, and he decides to throw a pass in the end zone with 152 to go. In the, he needs to run the ball. We're coming out of the two-minute warning. That play there has to be a possession pass or a run. So you can get the clock running. We knew Cincinnati had their timeouts. 
So you've got to be able to say, look, they've got the greatest field goal kicker in the playoffs. The guy's made 14 for 14 into the tournament, right? He can kick the ball from almost – We I read it on Twitter. The broadcast never told us about it. But he could kick a ball from 60 yards in pregame. So if you're McVay, you're thinking, okay, I want to score here. i got to get the lead. But I also want to limit the timeouts and limit the field position because if this guy gets the ball anywhere near the 38, 39-yard line on my side of the field, I'm, this game's going overtime. So you're playing that dynamic. But it's the same thing. I mean, before the interception, they snapped the ball before the two-minute warning. Why did they do that? Like, Sean has never been very good, in spite of the popularity, in spite of everybody thinking he's a, the greatest coach in the league. His game management, his decisions to, to, to implement the play into the clock have never been very good. And, and I think this is just another example. I mean, he's going to win a title. He got bailed out. He got bailed out because Zach Taylor decides to give the ball to Perrine on third and one twice in the game and doesn't get it. He's got Joe Mixon. If you're going to lose, lose with Joe Mixon. Don't lose with Perrine. Mike, who should have been the MVP, Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald? I think it should have been Donald. I think it should have been Donald. I mean, Donald made the difference in the second half. Look, after the score goes 20, 20 to 13, you know, it goes, they score a touchdown on the, on the pass interference call that wasn't called. Then they come back and they hold them to a field goal, right? And Donald gets that sack that pushes them back that has to settle for the field goal. At that point, the Bengals only got five more first downs over the remaining 25 minutes of the game. They never moved the ball into the Ram territory until the last drive of the game. And Burrow got sacked repeatedly from that point on. I mean, this wasn't about the Rams score 23, so let's give it to the most explosive offensive player. This was about the Rams were fortunate that the, the Bengals were fortunate enough to score. Really, they scored 13 points at the end of the day. I mean, they got the one cheap touchdown, and it was because of Donald's ability to be able to pressure the quarterback and, and sack this guy. I mean, Burrow's, the, what we said before the game, Burrow's inability to get protection was going to cost them the game. And the Bengals' inability to block was going to cost him the game. And that's what it did. I think, Dar- I, in fact, I didn't even, th- when I read this morning when I woke up that, that it was Cup, I was like, how'd that happen? Is Sean, going to, Sean McVay going to be the Rams coach at their next game? You know, it was interesting. Did you guys, did everybody notice that uh, how his hand was shaking at the beginning of the game? Did you see that on the playlist when they had it in the game? His hand was really shaking. I mean, I think that there was a lot of pressure on Sean. And, and I think sometimes that pressure manifests itself by how hard you work and how committed you are. And I, and I think Sean is an excellent offensive coach. There's no denying that. But I think ultimately he's got to make the decision. Does he want to take a step away now that he's won a title? He certainly can go into television. He's certainly charismatic. And he certainly is, knows the game better than anybody with his photographic memory. So, you know, I think he's going to have that option. And if you're the Rams, you know, what, what do you do? You know, television is paying better than head coaching. I mean, when Tony Romo makes more than any head coach on the field, something's wrong with the system. Yeah. You know, I'm re- so we already know Kevin O'Connell uh, to the Vikings, and it looks like Wes Phillips, Wade Phillips' son, could be joining him too. I'm curious your thoughts um, on Wes Phillips and what he could bring to the Vikings potentially. Well, obviously, I think it's going to be Kevin O'Connell. I mean, Kevin O'Connell's never called plays, so I don't think Kevin O'Connell's going to turn the play calling over to Wes. I think they're going to do it together, and I think it'll be good for the Vikings, and it'll be good for Kevin to kind of get himself uh, you know, kind of in a, in a position where he can really run an offense without kind of overseeing it or helping out Sean. I think that's going to be really critical. So 
I, I think this staff members are going to leave. There are going to be some more staff members leave the Rams. And now that lends itself. Does Sean want to come back with a team that has to try to repeat with serious cap trouble, you know, and have to sign three offensive linemen that are not, you know, they were not, that offensive line wasn't the strength of their team without a left tackle. We know Whitworth, is he going to continue to play? I doubt it. So the challenges that wait Sean after winning this title you know, and celebrating are, are daunting. And I think it starts with the coaching staff. It starts with their cap. I mean, they went all in. They got the title. They deserve it. But I think the future is going to be tough for them. Mike, would you be willing to put this Cooper Cup season up there with any receiving season we've ever seen? Led the NFL in, in receiving yards, uh, Offensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl MVP. I mean, Jerry Rice accomplished all those things, obviously, but he never did them in the same season. Um, what's your perspective on, on this kind of season historically for Cooper Cup now? Well, I think he's done tremendous. I mean, look, it's been great. He's gotten the football, but there's been so many guys that, that have had incredible seasons, and you wonder, you know, like you take Stanley Morgan. Nobody's even heard of Stanley Morgan, right? I mean, you, you know, Stanley Morgan enters the NFL as a first-round draft pick from the Tennessee Volunteers to the New England Patriots, and he goes there, and he averages his first six seasons. He averages over 20 yards a catch. He averages over 20 yards a catch up there. He can't get in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, for a career, for a career, he averaged 19.2. His first five years in the National Football League, he averaged 21, 24, 22, 22, 23. Better than Randy Moss. So, and three of those seasons, he was the all-time leader in yards per catch. And this is during the seven, late 70s and 80s when people weren't throwing the football. So, I think there's a, certainly Cup deserves all the credit. But there's other receivers in the league that have been as outstanding, especially considering that they weren't able to get the ball thrown to them as often because the passing game wasn't the way it is today. Cincinnati wasn't supposed to be there last night. Win total of six and a half, 150 to one to win the Super Bowl before the season gets going. And uh, it was Burrow's first full season. But here we are coming off a Super Bowl loss, Super Bowl loser historically. Uh, it's tough for them the next season, but they have a ton of cap space. Is it all O-line, or or do they need to address some other stuff moving forward? Well, I think certainly they've got to address their secondary. They need to get some corners. We know that. I think that's going to be an issue for them, too. I I think think there's no doubt. I mean, look, this is going to be a challenge to to get your team back. It's a challenge for uh, the Rams, but it's a bigger challenge for – the Bengals, because everybody just assumes we're going to get back there. This is Burrow's second year. It's not going to be a problem. I mean, uh, uh, Dan Marino went to the Super Bowl in his second year and never went back again and, and went four years during his prime career and never made the playoffs with the winningest coach in the history of the NFL. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge to keep everybody focused and, and their attention to detail and to really work hard. I mean, look, Burrow's tremendous. Chase is tremendous. Uh, they're going to have to really do a good job of building this team around, why the cap numbers for Chase and for Burrow are so low. You know, Burrow's going to get a huge extension two years from now. Chase should get a huge extension once he stays healthy and proves all that. So, for me, I think the planning as, as a team is to get as good, many good players as you can around them while their cap number is really low. And I think that's ultimately what the Browns need, family needs to do with the Bengals. With so many teams needing quarterbacks, and now we're hearing – you know, Kyler Murray, who knows what's going on with him and the Cardinals right now. But do you have any idea or um, any hints on how this could shake out? I mean, I've said it on my podcast, the, the GM Shuffle, about Kyler Murray. I've said it three weeks ago that his body language is deplorable. 
I mean, he blames everybody else. I, I didn't need anybody to tell me that he, he's a malcontent. I mean, he looks unhappy on the field. He blames the receiver. He had no relationship. If you just watch the games, he had no relationship with his players. I mean, he was a distant. He didn't play well down the stretch in spite of all the you know people trying to say he's, he's great. He didn't play well down the stretch. I mean, one of the reasons they failed as an offense was because his inability to play from the pocket. This is always related to money. Whenever you read about this in an offseason, a player's unhappiness, he gets off of Instagram, he defriends everybody. It's about, I want a new contract. And I think that's the Cardinals are going to have to make that decision. Is he good enough to lead you where you want to go? Or does he play small in big games? Because he is a small player. And when teams make him play from the pocket, he doesn't play as well. Joined by Michael Lombardi, your Odyssey NFL insider. Mike, um, you know, the, the trade last year that really set the stage for the Rams was acquiring Matthew Stafford. Do you think we're going to see more teams take these kind of swings here? I mean, there are a lot of potential uh, star quarterbacks available. Russell Wilson, we'll see about Deshaun Watson, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Do you think teams are going to give up a haul this offseason if they can to try to land those guys? Do you think the Stafford deal sets the template for this offseason? I don't. I really don't. I mean, Stafford was, uh, you know, was a player that they, they agreed to. I'm not sure Russell, anybody in Seattle is agreeing to trade Russell Wilson. I mean, it's a media story, but I'm not sure anybody in the league thinks he's going to get traded. You know, and, and as for Watson, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty about his civil case and, of course, his criminal cases. So that one still remains to be out there. And then I think Aaron Rodgers, and I was told this reliably by somebody in the league, a general manager in the league, that Rodgers doesn't have complete say, in spite of what we read, that he can just go anywhere he wants to go. He's not a free agent. The Packers control what they do with him. And I don't think the Packers are going to just give him away because they want to give him away and go with that. I mean, the Packers know their window's closing. And they need to figure out a way. And there's a lot of reports about that yesterday, about how they're going to go all in. I think he'll be the first $50 million a year player in the NFL. Michael, what do you think of the halftime show and or uh, any commercials that stood out? Well, I mean, I loved the halftime show. I thought it was great. And, and I really love the Sopranos commercial because I'm a huge Sopranos fan. <laughs> I, wish that, I wish they would have had like a, 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 an image of James Gandolfini kind of off to the side of that seafood restaurant that they drove to, that Meadow drove to, which was in many Saints of Newark. If you remember the scene when – they're driving to a restaurant and Astral Weeks is playing Van Morrison's song. Astral Weeks is playing in the background. You know, I wish there would have been like a, a kind of a way to visualize Gandolfini still alive. I think it remains that we know that they survived any shooting that happened in the, in, in Halston. And, and it gave us an opportunity to revisit with that, that family once again. Mike, always appreciate you hopping on. Have a great week, and uh, and we'll catch up soon. Mike Lombardi, our Odyssey NFL insider, was on the Roman guest line. Get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash BeckQL now to get $15 off your first month. That's GetRoman.com slash BeckQL. I had a feeling the, uh, mm-hmm. the Sobratos commercial would be his favorite. That, that, that felt right. He tweeted he might even want to get that uh, electric Chevy Silverado that she was driving. <laughs> Just because? Yeah. Yes. That is that, well, that's what marketing does, right? It, it hits you. And that, that obviously hit Mike Lombardi. We got a lot to hit on here in the rest of BeckQL Daily. On the other side, let's look forward. Next year's Super Bowl, the odds are out. We'll tell you who we like based on the current odds. Joe Ojo, Jaron Hawks for BeckQL Daily right here on the BeckQL Network. Hey, it's Quinn Mayo from BetMGM tonight, 7 to 11 Eastern. Watch and listen to the BetQL Network. Download the free Odyssey app and search BetQL. Your home for wagertainment is the BetQL Network.